Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by summersf1.co.uk, the technical side of Formula One. Today's episode is called Yippee! It's Actually Moving! I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. How's it going there, Chris? Uh, yeah, it's going great, man. How's it going for you? Very strange week in Formula One news for you, because despite having a first-time Grand Prix winner, despite having this fantastic battle finally between two teams at the front of F1, the news has been almost entirely dominated by IndyCar. Yeah, <laughs> interesting one. Uh, that Alonso having his private test and it is amazing just how many people have jumped on board with it and are interested in it and it's definitely story of the year so far yeah more on that later this week we are going to review the red bull updates in some detail to see if they can get back on track after sochi in barcelona we will inevitably have to look at alonso in indycar and let's see how many people i can upset with my opinion of the indycar and the test so far and we're going to look at the disaster that is going to be sauber honda at the back of the grid and we're going to have a fantastic quiz that will test your ferrari knowledge as well as the first round of the patrons quiz challenge well chris what should we do? Should we introduce some of our wonderful, wonderful guests? That sounds like a splendid idea. Well, let's do that after telling you that we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you race reviews before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or at work. Joining us this week is technical analyst and expert of summersf1.co.uk and motorsport.com. An honour to be joined by Summers F1, Matthew Summerfield. Hi guys, how's you going? Yeah, good. And although it's not a tech show, I hope you don't mind if we do lean on you for a little bit of technical analysis as we go through. Of course you can. Another person I like to fall out with regularly is local drunk Ryan Ferris. How's it going, Ryan? 
It's going all right, Spanners. Good. That's all we need to hear from Ryan at this point. Let's move on to the... Big Dirty News. Of course, I left out that our most honoured guests are the people in the chat room at the moment who are watching us on the live stream, both on Downforce Radio's Facebook feed and Spanners Ready channel on YouTube. A very warm welcome to the YouTube live stream, and we will hear more from the chat room as we go through. First off, Chris, though, we were expecting a lot from Red Bull in Sochi. Well, I personally was. Uh, It turns out that, no, that was not the big update. They actually came with very little in Sochi, but this is where they are putting all their hopes. Christian Horner has said, you know, all their effort has gone into the Barcelona update, and and in his words, this is where he wants to kickstart his season. Yeah, Barcelona is generally where we see the first big updates of the season uh, because that's where most of the testing takes place. So they have some good data to compare uh, the old car against uh, the new updates. It's also the first European race of the season, so it's much more convenient for the teams to be uh, bringing updates. And Red Bull really do need a big big update they've been consistently 45 seconds or so behind the leader in every race i'm gonna call you on that surely they weren't sitting there with a hat full of updates for sochi and they're like oh but it's far i'm not gonna take it far there's a reward versus cost you know idea to it suddenly if they had updates ready for sochi uh yeah they would have brought them but they value those extra couple of weeks of uh, development and data gathering first yeah, so I suppose um, it, it's also a useful target. So if they say, right, Sochi is our target, then they might not get the optimal results. If they say, right, guys, don't worry, let's focus on Barcelona. That is what you're all working towards. Uh, you know, they can funnel some people onto the current car, some people onto what we're probably calling a B-spec car, aren't we, Chris? And do you think that this is like, the, is this the earliest in the season we've seen a B-spec car for some time? I'd say so. Usually a B-spec is something you introduce kind of mid-season, but I don't think it's going to be a complete overhaul. I think it's maybe been a, a little bit hyped up. There's certainly going to be a big update. If it's going to be a complete resolution, I don't quite think so. I think so. Summers, the chat room is saying, let's uh, give credit to Paul Wright in the chat room, is saying, is it going to be Ferrari-style side pods for Red Bull Racing? I think basically what everyone's wondering is, you know, are they coming up with a radical new Red Bull design in light of what they now understand? Or are they just going to be farming the best of what they've seen on the grid so far? It's a difficult one with Red Bull because they don't tend to take that option because Nui has a, a very um, considered idea of how he wants things done. So I wouldn't expect him to actually go as radical as, say, the Ferrari side pods. Uh, that might be quite a leap. And in reality, that that would be a huge undertaking because it is quite a complex area of the car, not only in terms of the aero structures, but also the uh, side impact structures and all of that sort of uh, stuff. So, yeah, uh, we're all obviously expecting something quite big. But um, in terms of Ferrari side pods, I think it might be something a a little bit less complex than that, let's say. So, Ryan? Well, my thinking was, if the the Red Bull's so poor, uh, like, compared to Ferrari and Mercedes, why is it that they've always got shots after qualifying of the Ferrari, like, Vettel or whatever? They're always going over inspecting the Red Bull. Like, they're not never usually, like, inspecting others. It's like, we've got to get a shot of they're inspecting the Red Bull. I think that's partly to do with the fact that nobody can actually understand where all that downforce comes from because it's such a simplistic car. 
um, from a design point of view, it is very, very bare. If you compare it to the likes of the Ferrari and obviously the Mercedes, which is the most complicated car on the grid, you, although they're a second off the pace in Sochi, you have to remember that they're still quite a distance in front of the rest of the midfield. So to a lot of the people, it's quite staggering to find out how that car actually works. And I think the biggest thing that you'll see is the fact that um, this suspension clarification that happened at the start of the season, that's where what really wrecked Red Bull's start of the season um, in terms of the way that their car operates. Uh, Othnell, welcome, Othnell in the chat room. Quick question for you, uh, Summers. He's just saying, can we stop talking about the Ferrari side pod like it's some kind of silver bullet? Just quickly, is it that good? It's a very good design, but it's one of those things that's so intrinsic to that car, so you can't just literally transport it from one car to the other. Um, it's so difficult to say um, you could put it on the Red Bull and it would solve all their problems because it's not going to. It, it's just very much linked with that car. I was going to make a uh, quick point about that suspension system as well, you, and you that you will always it. hear Red Bull claiming it, it's not hampering our season, uh, and they always will claim that, but... I think it's pretty undeniable. It's had a massive impact. Same for Mercedes as well. Yeah, especially in terms of tyre wear and tyre performance. We we noticed that in the first race of the season, didn't we? Ferrari immediately with a better tyre wear. Exactly, yeah. Um, And as you say, that's part of the reason that Ferrari perhaps had this clarification brought forward is because they knew it was a, a, a particularly good time to have the other teams have their toys taken away from them. All right, Summers, since it's come up early... Let's get into this then, lads. Let's get into then the tyre wear thing. Explain it to me, who wasn't listening just a second ago. Sorry, why were Ferrari great on the tyres or why are they great on the tyres? Well, we have to remember that the three teams that tested the 2017 Pirelli tyres in advance of anybody else is the top three teams. So Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull all had mule cars. So they had the the advantage of that data. Um, Now, obviously, if the... If the Mercedes and the uh, Red Bull engineers were working off of that data based on their trick suspensions, for argument's sake, and Ferrari weren't, then it means that when the the suspension clarification came forward, it kind of put those two teams on the back foot when you compare them to Ferrari. Yeah, none of that went in. Chris, did you understand that? (laughs) Oh, 100%. I think you've also kind of got to take into uh, account as well that Ferrari did more testing of any other team uh, on 2017 Pirelli tyres. So add in that little factor as well when it all all adds up i'm I'm just completely blown by ferrari being uh you know leading the championship ferrari being in the lead i don't believe that it's going to continue but i think i'm more blown away by for uh by red bull being so far behind i mean before sochi christian horner talking like oh okay uh, in qualifying we will probably be 0.7 0.8 and in the race it's damage limitation will be a third of a second down per lap it's strange to see Red Bull speaking like that, Summers. So, hey, you know, do we understand where it went wrong? And do we think they will now join the party? Because, you know, I I just can't help but think that without with a, a second bite of the cherry, they're not going to be up there. And if they don't get up there with a second bite of a cherry, they're, they're not the Red Bull we know and love. Yeah, but we're looking at two separate things as well. There's, there's the chassis performance and there's the power unit performance, you know, and... 
Renault are still behind in terms of the power unit performance. So that's one deficit that they're having to live with. And they very much built this car around the fact that they were living to that deficit. So in terms of the way that it creates downforce and drag. And then when they had the suspension clarification, that only um, made that worse because they couldn't dump the drag in the same way that they had been, done, been doing for the last season and a half. So it makes it a little bit difficult to, to say where Red Bull really are. All right, Chris, speaking of the engine, then tell us what you know about Renault's um, update and that it has been delayed. We know the Renault's down on power. We know they are struggling with their uh, uh, MGU thingy, the thing what gets some energy back. Matt, Matt, help me. Um, The thing what gets some energy back. What we expected this to be updated in Canada. Is this now no longer the case? Yeah, they were supposed to be bringing a a general engine uh, update most specifically with the MGUK, is the word you were looking for there, Spanners, uh, because uh, the one they introduced uh, in testing, it was overweight. Uh, And so they've actually gone back to the 2016 uh, system. So they were going to update it for around Monaco, Canada time. That's usually when you get your first uh, engine change. Uh, But they've had to delay it because on the dyno, it hasn't been showing the reliability that they are looking for. And what that means, though, is that they can't just wait an extra race to update it and put put it on the engine. Then with these new regulations, you have to wait until your next engine cycle to bring in an update. You can only bring in an update into an engine that hasn't been used. So we're looking at Silverstone at the earliest, at the halfway point of the season, before they can introduce this new update. And Renault are already claiming, you know, that what the FIA says about engine parity between Renault, Ferrari and Mercedes. Uh, saying that they're all within three tenths of a second. They don't believe that, not one bit. So the chat room's um, piping in and saying, uh, Michael Howlin says, I sit and nod when Summers talks. Makes me seem intelligent. Me too. How am I doing? James Funnel suggests that Summers is like a research professor talking to nursery children. I'm glad we've come up to the level of nursery. I thought we were preschool. Or perhaps that's the same thing. Okay, so what does all of this mean, Summers? What are we going to expect when we go lights out in Q3 in Barcelona? Are they going to have quality pace? Are they going to have race pace? Uh, And is Barcelona going to suit their new upgrades? I think the 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 thing to think about with Red Bull is that their chassis will be improved. That that that's the key marker. Um, so that that's performance wise, we should see them in a better window from the tire perspective as well. Um, but. I don't think they're going to be on the same pace as Ferrari and, and Mercedes, just down to the fact that they're still going to have the, the power deficit to, to overcome. So no bets on Max Verstappen to repeat his heroics from last season. But Summers, I have it. I have it on somewhat dubious authority that there has been a Red Bull T-Wing spotted making its way down the motorway towards Barcelona. So do we fully expect to see a fully T-winged and shark-finned Red Bull car? Well, obviously, they've already got a shark fin. It's just not um, perhaps optimised to the way that we'd expect it on the other packages because it was bought so late to the car. Um, but yeah, as we meant, as I mentioned in the last Tech Time show, I kind of expected them to adopt the T-wing um, based on the fact that the, the bad hand come into place that perhaps Red Bull were expecting from the FIA. I definitely think Red Bull are going to make a good step forward. I don't think they're going to be quite challenging for wins uh, straight away. Their idea for this update is to close the gap to Ferrari and uh, to Mercedes. Now, 
obviously a track like Barcelona that in the typical sense of the word that, you know, Rebel have got a very high downforce car. If they do manage to sort of close the gap to Ferrari and the Mercedes, then Barcelona is probably actually a really good chance for them. When you think about it, it's a very high downforce track and tire wear will be absolutely uh, crucial as well, even if they are bringing the hard tires um, to, to, to Barcelona. Nobody will use them. Um, but I'm glad you brought up Max Verstappen, actually, Spanners, because this time last year, I jokingly said that Max Verstappen would be the 10th different winner in 10 years of the Spanish Grand Prix. But we're also now set for an 11th with Bottas or Ricardo. So that's maybe something to look out for. Maybe. That's interesting. I think that you guys are being far too pessimistic because I've been, I've been rallying uh, for this Red Bull resurgence since uh, about race two or three. So I think that you two are being far too pessimistic and that Red Bull is going to tip up and just insanely somehow be on the pace and uh, be in between one of those two top teams on out and out pace. So let's see how that wild prediction works out. Uh, any more on uh, Red Bull, Matthew? Not really, aside from that I expect it to be quite a large update and there's going to be uh, quite a lot of writing for it on my behalf to, to keep up with it all. I tell you what, actually, before we, um, before we leave this topic completely, uh, before we leave F1, spoiler for the next section, um, they are bringing the hard tyre to Barcelona. Now, to a lot of people, they've said that this is insane and it's not going to get used. So we're effectively going to be left with the soft and the super soft for Barcelona and even they might be a bit lacking in grip so what does that say for the race well uh, <clears throat> the hard tyre is pretty much irrelevant this season unfortunately um, it, because of the way that the tyres operate obviously the construction is very different to the tyres that we've had before um, and obviously the compounds are very similar but degrade don't degrade in the the way that they used to um so yeah i think the hard tire is very very much an irrelevant tire you're probably going to see each team maybe have one in their allocation just to cover it off uh just to actually go back to the rebel uh topic actually very briefly because um illuminosity uh brings up a good question uh if you do too many updates at once how do you know what worked and what didn't yeah, and this speaks to you know my general vocation very very well because I've been I was a fault finding engineer up until three years ago uh, for the last fifteen years, and the answer is you don't. Uh, you are starting again when you bring that many changes in. It's kind of a desperate move. So if you have a complex system and there is a fault that you are trying to isolate, when you can't find it, the desperation move is just to pick right. Let's pick. A lot of things that tend to generally fail, let's pull out eight or nine items, replace them all, see if the fault goes away. If the fault goes away, and the fault in this case is a lack of pace, then you one by one substitute back in your your faulty items to try and trace back where that thing happened. So no, there's no um, quick answer to that. Yes, if you change a lot of things at once, it makes it very, very hard to find out your original fault. But they might not care, because if they do all this and they suddenly have the pace, they might just consign the first four or five races to the history bins and never, ever think about it again. Reminds me of 2009, to be honest. Imagine what we had with a double diffuser back in 2009. Red Bull were on the back foot for the first few races, trying to catch up to Braun. Um, so it's more than achievable at this stage of the season. If they suddenly have a car that is on the pace, let's say, they could really take it to, the, to Ferrari and Mercedes. Yeah, Ryan, do you like them having these three tyre allocations or do you think we should just go back to simplifying it just having two well i i 
would rather it be a bit more simple of having two. I mean, IndyCar do it where they just have the soft and the hard compound tire, and it's pretty. It's pretty easy. It's sort of. It's sort of like, well, what color wall is it? Oh, it's red. Oh, they're on soft. But I don't know. I think simplicity and it costs cuts. Uh, it cuts costs. If if you got less tires, then you know it's cost cutting. Excellent. You've led us to IndyCar. Let's go there. But not before we talk about Reddit. Reddit is a strange place full of insightful, intelligent, but mostly mean people. And that's why a lot of people I speak to who have content, who are content creators, who work in the media say, oh man, I never go on Reddit. It's like this powerful overlord dragon that people both fear, respect, love and adore. And that's right. The noose symbol that Summers is making is very, very apt. Uh, I have not had a good relationship uh, with Reddit in general, although I understand its enormous power. And I was very, very pleased to see that someone had shared one of our posts on there. And you go, oh, that's absolutely fantastic. And someone sent me the link and you go on there and you're like, why did I click it? Why did I read the link? But look, hey, you're a content creator. You're putting things out there. You've got to be able to deal with criticism through gritted teeth and tears. You can't see my tears while I'm typing. There was a comment on Reddit from the Flying Finn 98 who said, I've listened to this podcast for a while and it's definitely one of the best out there. That's a compliment. That's good, isn't it? That's a great start. It's also exceptionally well produced. Thank you very much. A testament to my many, many hours of hard work and learning. That said, I've noticed two issues with it that have got slightly worse as time has gone on. Uh oh. First off, the host can be hit and miss. Ouch! Is there any chance he's talking about the co-host Matt Trumpets? There isn't, isn't there? He is absolutely hilarious at times, well thank you very much, and clearly has a good rapport with a few of his panellists, especially Matt. But he can also be quite aggressive, and his opinions can sometimes be over the top. And his pro-Hamilton stance and hate-everybody-else stance is prominent. I'm not aggressive, am I, Chris, you bugger? Uh, I'm going to read some stuff in the chat room, if you don't mind. <laughs> Felix, Felix Bolin says the Reddit Tifosi is assembling. <laughs> and uh, Paul writes, I joined Reddit just for my love of spanners, and I already almost regret it. The uh, Anyway, if you're looking for a podcast, this is a great place to start. So it's, you know, it's a brutally honest assessment um, of our podcast. And that's absolutely fine. I should definitely be able to be a grown up and take that. But it hurts so much. Uh, and then somebody else replied, yes, that's my main issue with the show. Though I listen anyway each week, he kind of jokes about it in the way he says, I don't care that we're supposed to be impartial. And I think it's things like this which keep the show from taking off in a bigger way. They're just not that professional. Sometimes the panel will give him a hard time for being hamfosi. Sometimes they join in and it's like watching the Hamilton Excuse Hour, uh, brackets, the Sky post-race coverage. Yeah, that's a fair point. Uh, uh, anyway, yeah, he agrees that it's a good place to start. So anyway, I, he'd also like to recommend the hilarious box of neutrals, which I've, I've not listened to. Is that Australian? Is it Summers? It is, yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's what Mr. Apex is trying to be, accidentally, I'll add. Um, but it's made by real broadcasting organizations, so it's more professional with much better production value and backed up by real reporting and expert interviews. Chris Stevens is a real reporter for Autosport, and Summers, he's an expert, surely, surely. Ryan is also 
here. Uh, but look, it's, it's not a joke, uh, about the Lewis Hamilton thing. Uh, you know, personally, yeah, I'm not impartial. And I'm also, I think I'm under no obligation to be neutral at all. I think many people who create content will deny their biases and I just happen to not do that. So surely me addressing my bias in an open and fun way is more useful and more honest. There are some that will claim to be natural, like Damon Hill, and then drumbeat their biases out little by little. But look, yeah, I admit that is definitely a bias. Even if Lewis Hamilton was a little bit rubbish, like Massa, I would still support him. I would still be ham uh, in, you know, in the same way that England fans cheer on the England team. And no one seems to have a problem with that. Uh, furthermore, I share an awful lot of demographics with Lewis Hamilton, which really makes him my driver in so many ways. But I do let the guys cheer on their guys, and I do encourage them to debate me, Chris. But it's not my fault that you are pathetic at doing so. I am obliged to be impartial. So. Oh, yeah. No, you are actually a professional that's uh, obliged to be impartial. Yeah, that doesn't cut much mustard here. So, yeah, look, I'm sorry if me being a Lewis fan isn't to your taste, uh, but it's not probably not going to change. So uh, I do encourage the guys to speak out. Um, also, did you not find that a lot of the F1 podcasts, they lo- they delight in Lewis failures? I would say it's definitely more podcasts are on the anti-Hamilton uh, bandwagon, Ryan, than the pro. Pardon? Chris? I have to say, it's something I've definitely noticed in sort of articles, because when Lewis had his rather spectacular engine blowout in Malaysia last year, probably was one of the more uh, well-read articles that I did last year. And the comments were flowing in, especially on Twitter as well. For some reason, people, some people, I should say, enjoy seeing Lewis Hamilton fail. And I, I don't quite understand that. Even if I didn't support someone, I wouldn't want to see them fail necessarily and also lastly um as for being compared to a professional organization i take it box of neutrals is backed by a studio um he might have thought that was an insult but actually it's not i would rather be compared badly against like studio outfits and broadcast outfits you know than against you know home produced shows because that's what we are i am literally sitting in my shed so if we're going to be criticized against you know podcasts like that I think that I'll take that as a win. But anyway, the lesson in all of this is uh, post on Reddit, but don't send me the link. Let's move on to the IndyCar test. Uh, Chris, Alonso had a test in his Indianapolis race car. He went round and round. He went in a straight line. Then he jinked left, continued jinking left for 180 degrees, then went straight. Uh, At the end of that sequence, he went left again before eventually turning left into the pits and stopping. Now, a lot of people were very, very pleased with this. But let's start with the outstanding media success of IndyCar. They have scored great points by A, getting Alonso over there in the first place. I don't know whose idea it was. And B, just live streaming it, putting it on YouTube and seeing that as valuable that that many people tuned in and watched that live stream. Like I said earlier, it's the story of the year so far. And yeah, props to whoever on the media team decided to live stream a private test who watches private tests we don't even watch public testing in formula one it's not no. broadcast because it's incredibly boring uh and to be honest this test hasn't really done many favors to that because now people are asking why we don't broadcast it but it, two million people across social media watched that that test which is a phenomenal you know, feet just to watch a private test. And it's all because of, you know, Fernando Alonso. He is a, a game changer for IndyCar at the moment. 
And Ryan, you're a big IndyCar fan. Yes, I am indeed. Um, I think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, the the only problem is it's uh, it's only broadcasted on uh, pay TV. Uh, but yeah, I think if you watch IndyCar, once you've watched IndyCar, I mean the ovals, yes, it's exciting. And but when you watch the road racing, that's where you can uh, really uh, compare it to Formula One because obviously it's pretty much the same. Uh, but some of the ideas that they got in IndyCar makes it the simplicity makes for good racing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, <clears throat> the thing for me, though, is that they're very different disciplines because the speedway racing that you have in IndyCar is so different to what we see in Formula One. So transferring racing knowledge from one series to another in that respect is quite slim. And obviously that's where Alonso has realised that he must put in the effort to get the, the maximum out of this uh, this particular test and obviously the race at Indy um, with his simulator run and, and obviously the test that he's he's done as well. Okay, so let's talk about IndyCar because I'm definitely going to watch this. That's worked. For those guys who are running IndyCar, congratulations. You are going to get some people who are going to watch the Indy 500 that weren't normally going to, me being one of them. It's on at the same time as Monaco, right? If that's true, then yeah, I would definitely choose that. I would rather watch my son as I did today, having his tooth punched out by his little sister and losing his first tooth uh, via a girly punch than watch Monaco. So, yeah, so that given, it's um, it's been a great move and I am going to watch it. However, I am going to upset some people and I'm going to say that, look, driving an Indy car in a circle just isn't as hard as driving an F1 car on a circuit. So a lot of people are going to get excited and say, here's Alonso going to IndyCar. It's an equal and comparable thing. And of course, Alonso is going to say, yes, it's a challenge. Because why would he say, oh, it's easy? Because he's on a hiding to nothing. If he wins, he's going to be, he he would uh, not get any kudos. So why not say it's difficult? His whole MO is to build up his challenge and say that it's very, very hard. But before Chris gets in, I just want to I want to clarify what I'm not saying. I am not saying that Indy is easy. Of course it's not. It's motor racing, very, very fast cars in traffic. It's very hard. I'm not saying it's not hard. I'm not saying it's not competitive as well. Of course. I'm not saying it's not dangerous because clearly it is. And I'm not saying it's not entertaining. But you only need to look at the drivers, Chris, in that field and say there are some guys there who are late 40s, mid 40s, there are some guys there who would not be able to make it in Formula One. Pay drivers notwithstanding, I would say that generally you need to be a better driver to be in Formula One than in IndyCar. Thankfully, F1 pay drivers are being found out this season. Uh, And also, just secondly, it's very hard for me to believe that the challenge of 20 racing circuits over a season is not harder than the smaller variations in ovals. Well, I would agree with you on your point that some IndyCar drivers would struggle in F1, but equally, a lot of Formula One drivers would struggle in IndyCar. They are completely different disciplines, and I think it's very dif- difficult to compare them. But where the real uh, sort of danger and uh, difficulty in IndyCar comes is that you don't have that car in that perfect window. You know, it's understeering maybe a little bit, or it's oversteering maybe a little bit. That's it, you're in the wall. And that danger just isn't in Formula One. You can cope with an unbalanced car just about on the vast majority of circuits. So look, all the arguments that I apply to the things I'm not saying, we could also apply to F2 
an F3. Is it not that we are simply spoilt by the standard of race driver? Even the pay drivers have to be of a certain standard. Are we not just spoilt into thinking that Formula One is easy simply because it's harder to get into Formula One? Therefore, you get a higher standard of evolutionary driver. They've had to be survival of the fittest to a much higher extent. So we look at Formula One and we think it's on rails. If you look at Formula Two, uh, the F2 and F3 races in uh, Baku, for example, were thrillers. Because into that turn one or two, I forget the one at the end of the straight, if that's one or two, they were all over the place in that. They were having fantastic battles and ding-dongs through there, whereas the F1 was on rails. Is there not just an element of they're, a, they're not as good in IndyCar, so you're going to get more mistakes, more excitement? Formula One has got the best drivers in the world. That's what it's there for. But equally, IndyCar has a very talented field. And, you know, you take that Baku race, for example, where they weren't really racing each other. You know, there was very little in terms of actual on-track action and excitement. Whereas with oval racing, you are more than 90% of the time, you will be two or three wide for the majority of the race. And you go back to what I was saying earlier about having that car in that fine, fine window. You know, you try and keep your car in that window whilst going wheel to wheel with two or three other cars at 230 miles an hour constant. That's tough. And I'm sure it is. And I definitely wasn't arguing that it wasn't tough. But, you know, Blackout makes the point that ex-F1 drivers have frequently gone to Indy and won races after finishing their F1 career. How many retired Indy drivers have gone and done that in F1? Well, the thing is, once you kind of reach the end of your IndyCar career, you'll be too old for Formula (laughs) One, won't you? Formula One's already got enough of a too large a pool of drivers for its own good anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's there's drivers in there that have been there since the 90s. we got Elio Castro Nevers and Tony Canan um, in there. And they've been going at it since uh, the ridiculous, overpowered cars of the 90s. But the thing is, Mansell went over and when it was uh, cart, and he said oval racing is the most scariest thing he has ever done. He said, effectively, you're just in a tunnel. Like, you're, you've got a large patch of tarmac around you, but you're in a tunnel. Because if you stray from that tunnel, you're off. And pretty much you're going along at there at 200 mile an hour. And you're pretty much just inches from life and death. And that is how he ex- uh, explained it and he would never do it again oh absolutely it looks bonkers i'm not saying that it, it definitely looks bonkers uh, felix in the chat room says knock knock who's there uh, r slash f1 and r slash indycar with their pitchforks and somebody had said that they were tweeting or redditing the link to the live stream please don't do that i've had enough surely uh paul Wright says indycar is like flappy birds easy enough so that everyone can almost achieve perfection therefore it's more competitive and ray parker says cart and indy even in their heyday weren't as interest- interesting as f1 in its most boring era but you know summers is that you know a big part of it is that you know we were talking about being able to outdrive the car and the driver making a difference is there a factor in indycar where most of the drivers can get up to the top percentage of performance therefore that that's what gives it its air of ultra competitiveness yeah well you must remember that we're dealing with a spec series as well in indycar sure, so sure of you know course, we, yeah. we've got chevy and honda that have their their aero packages that have both been marginalized i mean i got back into indy a couple of years ago when the new aero packages came in and chevy just obliterated honda 
um, because of their their more superior aero package. Um, but now that they've kind of got together and they've they've got a, a package that can race again, that that they're so very close to one another again. Um, and and Honda are starting to to break that edge um, in the first few races of Indy this year. But yeah, it, it is a, an area of um, problem for for a spec series in in that respect. And for anyone that says that, oh, Spanners, you're just uh, an F1 focused guy and you know nothing about IndyCar, wait till you watch it this year and then you'll be converted. Sure. I, um, I absolutely, I'll, I'll bow to that. Please do feel free to tell me how and why I'm wrong at spannersready at gmail.com, uh, or, um, at Missed Apex Podcast. Uh, you can go in the comments for the podcast post. One thing I do find enjoy about, uh, enjoyable about IndyCar, which I was hoping that I'd, we'd see when the V6 era uh, started back in Formula 1, is you really see the drivers having to work the cars, snap over steer, then understeering into corners. They're really having to work the cars, unlike the F1 cars that look as though they're just out for a Sunday drive sort of thing in comparison. And, you know, the... The discipline with the drivers, obviously, they've got to do road courses, a lot of street courses, and they've also got to do the ovals as well, packed into the season. I think there's a, from a perspective on IndyCar in that respect, there's also the, the, the problem, obviously, being the spec series that it is, is that the cars tend to be a bit pitch sensitive, both aero wise and from the suspension. So I think that's why you kind of find that. Um, you have that challenge of the drivers with the snap oversteer and that's kind of dialed out of Formula One because of the advanced nature of the sport. But if I had to compare speedway racing in Indy to anything, <clears throat> I would compare it to driving on a motorway as, a, as opposed to driving on a, on a B road at the end of the day. You know, they're, they're very different disciplines. So I think um, we're going to see Alonso um, at his best at Indy um, trying to push that car along so uh, an open invite if we can get a subject matter on for indy to tell me why i'm wrong and believe me i am used to people telling me why i'm wrong uh then we'd be more than welcome uh, to have you um, on the show because it is an interesting uh conversation to talk about where f1 is in wider motorsport spanners i was just wondering who tells you you're wrong more the chat room or your wife just everyone it's just the story of my entire life. I I, re- I don't know why I'm doing this, but seems that every corner I turn, this happens. It doesn't make a difference whether I do it or don't do it. But I am going to listen to the advice of the chat room and go back to a bit of Formula One. Guys, I need to, as well you know, go and put uh, a little toothy underneath a little blanket and replace it with a shining £2 coin. Uh, so while I'm doing that, w- Chris? Wait, have tooth gone up in... Yeah. Yeah. you since i was a kid it was 20p oh, when no, i was a I kid i only got a quid yeah, yeah well. i got a pound Actually, i got a euro from my first one that is you know <laughs> <laughs> worth a lot more now but yeah well ryan that's because you're now old compared to Treeface. so Treeface is going to get two quid but while i do that i'd really appreciate if you guys would quickly talk about um uh, roman grosjean being made head of the drivers association and just a quick word on the future direction of head protection before we go on to a quiz in a few minutes time Ah, yes, uh, head protection. This is going to really split the chat room, isn't it? Um, Okay, should we do a jingle then? Let's make it all official like it's a real item. Go for it. Big Dirty News. Of course, where Grosjean's uh, becoming the head of the GPDA uh, really comes into interest is about um, the head protection because... 
uh, I believe he was uh, somebody more aimed at, you know, getting some sort of head protection in. I think it was for um, the Halo. But um, we've got a new design that is supposedly replacing the Halo, which is no longer the preferred option for head protection in 2018. Uh, it's been dubbed the Shield. And we don't really have any sort of proper pictures of it yet, only kind of artists' um, in- interpretations of it. But it's effectively just, you know, a big uh, transparent, well, shield, actually. So it's an appropriate title that sort of runs from the nose cone up through the chassis and is about as high as the driver's head. And the sort of early indication is that it's very effective against larger pieces of debris, more so than the halo, but less so against um, smaller pieces of debris. So we've got basically another layer to the whole head protection thing. And it's basically a case of, you know, what would you rather see uh, the halo, the shield or nothing, but uh, the chances of nothing. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic, ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget. Check out quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Coming in in 2018 are incredibly slim. I, I personally prefer nothing, but if I was to go for something, I'd go for the shield purely because it... it sort of from the artist depictions it sort of does suit the car a bit more than like a flip-flop that's been stuck on the top of a a ferrari or whatever well summers you must have the most information on this surely yeah i mean obviously i working with giorgio he he did the the artist impression of the shield and um yeah from an aesthetic point of view that the shield is a much better approach but aesthetics shouldn't be the leading factor in the way that we're we're approaching this we should be looking at everything and for me the biggest problem that we've got with um any head protection is the fact that we don't actually know what we're trying to protect are we trying to do small debris or large debris and i think there really needs to be a decision made about that um going forward so there's a bit of misguidance then maybe a, a lack of you know a path to follow in in terms of its design at the moment yeah i mean it appears that obviously that the 
the option came up to to have head protection, but nobody actually figured out, well, what do we want it to do? Um, the FIA approached it as if they wanted to stop uh, large pieces of debris-like tyres hitting a driver's head. But instead, they, they've then led themselves down a path where they started to concentrate on the smaller debris, like the things that happened to Massery um, with the spring coming off in 09. And, and that's kind of where the, the, they've been led to now. I suppose it kind of depends on what your kind of classification on the size of debris is, because the chances of tires flying across the track are so slim because uh, the tethers to the chassis do such an amazing job now that really the largest piece of debris that's going to hit you is maybe, you know, a piece of bodywork. Um, Blackout 19 in the chat room actually says, so the proponents of this are almost agents of shields, you could say. I'll see myself out. (laughs) (laughs) He is now banned from getting comment of the week, though. He's just far too good at that kind of thing. So you can't, you can't have a blackout one, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, there. Um, I asked the chat room, how did he do? The answer from Ray Parker was he was moderate, which is better than I was actually expecting. Uh, what, so well done. Uh, Michael says Spanners. Chris did nothing but swear for five minutes. Oh, well, just have to let it ride. I'll add, you, you've, uh, heard, you've heard me on the lean angle. Am I not good on that? You, you better be. I stuck, I stuck, staked my reputation with downforce. I said, Chris Stevens will produce you a good motorbike show. And then I didn't listen to it for five in a row. And I kept just going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's definitely good, isn't it? Just, that's how much <laughs> trust I had in you. Okay, but look, this is a, a section of the show where I don't need trust in you. The, the, the stats will speak for themselves. Your knowledge will ring through. This is the Missed Apex Quiz, and we are joined on the line by owner of Team Venture Racing and racing driver, Charlie Brisker. Hello. How's it going, Charlie? How are you? I'm fine, mate. Fine, yeah. Carrying on, carrying on. Nice to see you all. Oh, yes, you can see us on the video. We can only see a strange cartoon of you. But, Charlie, you've been one of Missed Apex's biggest supporters from the beginning. You offered us so much early moral support in the early days, especially when you put our podcast logo on your race car. You have our thanks. No problem, mate. No problem. However, this season isn't going to plan, is it, Charlie? Every time I speak to you about your race car... It's in the garage. There's something that needs fixing. There's some heartache or trauma because, you know, you've been saying to me, you know, Spanners, come, come and get in our race car. Come and tame the beast. But I'm, 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 a, bit, I'm a little scared that I, it's going to break when I'm in it and that you'll blame me and then I'll feel like I'm at home. I'll only blame you if you drive it into something. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's been a challenging start to this year, hasn't it? Very much so. Very much so. The um, uh, first time out this year at Thruxton, which, as we all know, is a a uh, tire eater of a track um the thermostat blew and uh basically i managed to get two laps in qualifying oh, no. ran around filled the car with uh water just trying to get everything ready back did two laps in the race it had gone again so <laughs> um spent a long time and a lot of money to do basically four laps and what car is it and what series is it charlie it's a BMW E30, and I'm currently dedicating all my time and money to the PBMW Championship, which is a production BMW E30 race series. It's really good, close racing because we're all um, standard and supposed to be of the same uh, right. eight horsepower, so maximum horsepower, certain minimum weights, and it is just really good fun. So even with all the dramas you've had this year, I mean, the old adage goes, buy a race car, you never see a sad person with a race car. You would still stand by that? 
Yeah, absolutely. You won't see them because they're in their garage crying. <laughs> if you can see them, they're happy because it's working. Why won't it work? Okay, so look, let's go on to the quiz, lads. Charlie, I'm really um, glad you could support us. And since you are also a patron uh, uh, by going to patreon.com, Mr. Apex Podcast, you will also be our first patron to set a score on the patron challenge. How are you feeling about that? Uh, nervous and, uh, you know, hoping to do as well as I usually do in anything, which is not last. Not last would be good. So, um, yes, well, obviously in the, in the patron challenge, you will be both first and last because you are a trailblazer for this. We're hoping that this quiz will kind of be like Popmaster, but for F1 and for Mist Apex podcast. Um, and we will be rolling through our patrons just as fast as we can. Um, just as fast as we can come up with quiz questions, in fact. But this week, first off, we are going to involve the whole panel and we are going to have a quiz. And the topic is Ferrari. Chris, does that make you nervous? I'm not nervous, but. Uh, because I'm a good podcaster, I looked at the notes before the show. And so isn't the quiz on there? No, that's the Patreon challenge quiz is in the show notes. You can see those. You do not have these questions here. Oh, did you read those and think those were the questions? Oh, no, dear boy. No, I here we go with the quiz. And the first question is actually for you, Chris Stevens. Oh, lovely. Which race did Schumacher controversially win whilst in the pits serving a penalty? Is it not Silverstone? One year, I forget which year, might have been. That's that's the nature of the quiz is that you have to answer the question. Might have been two thousand and three. Do you know I'm going to I'm going to give you half a point for the race, Chris. I'm going to give you zero point five there because it was the nineteen ninety eight British Grand Prix. Ryan, where was Schumacher's last win for Ferrari? Uh, why does he get a way easier one than I do? Well, I don't know. By the look on his face, it doesn't look that easy because it's me. <laughs> Was it China? Yeah, you have to give me a year. Uh, uh, 2006. 2006, that's a full point for Ryan. Well done. Summers, who was the only Ferrari teammate to beat Schumacher on points at the end of a season? Mm. It's an open goal. What? Come on. What? Why do I get the know the answer to the previous two questions, but not know the answer to this one? Um, I'm going to have to say Irvine. It is Eddie Irvine. I thought that was an open goal. Charlie, which driver replaced Schumacher after he broke his leg in 1999? I'm going to go Luca Badoa because he just makes me laugh. It's a fair guess, but it's actually Mika Salo. I wouldn't have got that either. Why Why has the Quizmaster given the hard questions to the patron? That goes against all... Uh, Oh, missed Apex policy. Let's go to Chris Stevens. Where was Schumacher's first win for Ferrari? Oh, 1996 Spanish Grand Prix. Wow, he's got it. Nice one. Ryan, before Schumacher's it, title victory. Go on, Chris Ryan, what are you going to say? Was it at Jerez as the victory? No, it was Barcelona. Ah, uh, I remember it was pouring with rain and he lapped the majority of the field. No, that was a ref, I swear. No, Barcelona. Oh, man, I don't think that um, Catman was quite shirty when he sent me his notes for these questions after how much he got picked up on the last one. So uh, he said, oh, here are some edits, given the finickety nature of your listenership. I was like, oh, oh, oh. Uh, anyway, steady on. Uh, who are we going to next? Uh, Ryan, before Schumacher's title victory in 2000, when was the last Ferrari drive driver's title victory? So before Schumacher won it in 2000, when did Ferrari last win the world driver's title? Um... Would it have been shoot? No, I, I, I'd probably be in the seventies at some point. 
That's what, uh, 79. Do you know what? I'm going to give you half a point for the year, Ryan. Half a point for the year. Summers, what prevented... Oh, sorry, it was Jodie Schechter in 1979. Oh, I, knew, I didn't realise I had to say the driver. Oh, that's a good point, actually. It said when was... No, you're right. You get a full point. I apologise to Ryan. Sorry. I just feel like sometimes I just want you to be stupid and I don't appreciate your talents. I want to apologise sincerely, Ryan. You get a full point. Summers, what prevented Schumacher taking up his pole position in France in 1996? Wow, you've drawn the short straw here. Why have I got all the, these questions? I don't um, know. It, Catman must hate you. Yeah, perhaps it is. Um, we'll have to have words, Catman. Um, something to do with tyres, but I, I haven't got a clue. His engine failed honest. on the formation lap. Charlie, at which race did Schumacher equal Senna's rally of... Sorry, that must mean tally... At what race did Schumacher equal Senna's tally of 41 victories, breaking down in tears in the post-race conference? Oh, um, can I not just have one that says, like, what colour are Ferrari cars? What colour are Ferrari cars? Red. Good point. The answer to the previous question was (laughs) Italy 2000, although how anyone would be expected to know that, I do not know. Okay, so we now have a question for Chris Stevens. You knew that one, did you, Chris? Yeah, I've seen the clip. No, there you go. Kimi Raikkonen chose the number seven to race with at Ferrari because one of his heroes, Barry Sheen, had raced with the number seven on his motorbike. True or false? It's false. It's false. In his words, Kimi says, it was the number I already had last season, so saw no reason to change it. Genuinely, that's why. That's fantastic. I love that. Okay, let's go to Ryan. Rubens Barrichello won the 2000 German Grand Prix after starting in 11th place. True or false? False. It was true. It was his maiden victory for Ferrari. <laughs> Maybe you are an idiot after all. Summers, Luca Badoa replaced Felipe Massa for two races in 2009 after his accident. He qualified plum last on both occasions. True or false? True. 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 Yeah, he really was that bad. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, Charlie, true or false? Maurizio Arribaveni took over running the team from Stefano Dominicani. Yeah, pronounced both those right. After he stepped down as team principal. True or false? True. It's false. Yeah, you fell for it. He actually replaced Marco Mattiacci. Oh, unlucky, Charlie. Yeah, I can't give you any points so far. Look, consider this a warm up (laughs) for the patron challenge. I'm just loving it. It's just nice to be here. And Chris does do an excellent podcast on the magic of Moto whatever. Moto GP <laughs> on Witchcraft. Okay, Chris, okay, qu- quickly go on. Let's get your plug out of the way then for Lean Angle. All right, yeah, go on. Um, Lean Angle podcast. We're talking about all the bike stuff. So this weekend, it's going to be very Moto GP based. What a race we had today. Uh, check it out. We record on uh, Tuesday night, so it usually comes out just after that. So boring. I'm so bored already. Okay, so Chris, Michael Schumacher won 72 times for the Ferrari team. True or false? False. He won 71 times. Not according to Catman. He won 72 times for Ferrari. You get okay, no points. Okay, we're going to have to break out the old, uh, <laughs> oh, break out the old wiki here. Okay, you do that whilst I ask people questions. Ryan, Mika Hakkinen won the driver's title in 1999, but Ferrari won the constructor's title that year. True or false? True. It is true. You get a point. Hurts me to give you points. Why do I hate you so much? I don't know. It's just something deep within me. It's like Ryanism. Okay, Summers. Out of 19 Brazilian Grand Prix starts, Rubens Barrichello only finished on the podium at his home race once. True or false? True. True. 
He only finished on the podium once in 2004. Charlie, apart from the Works Ferrari team, only one race victory has ever been taken by a car powered by Ferrari engines. True or false? I'm going to go true on that one. That's true. That is an amazing statistic. Uh, And it was Monza 2008 with Sebastian Vettel, who it is very interesting to forget was powered by a Ferrari. Round three, guys. I have to say, so far, Chris is winning with 2.5 points. No, no, Ryan's... Guys, Ryan's winning with three points. What the hell, guys? He had easier questions. What did I say about the quiz? I gave you one instruction. Don't let Ryan win the quiz. (laughs) Round three, guess the year. Chris, which year were Alain Prost and Nigel Mansell teammates at Ferrari? 1992? No, no, I've let myself down. No, no. Uh, Ryan, no. Uh, you can steal, but I won't give you points. 1990. 1990 it was, and Catman generously is giving three points for a correct answer and one point for a year either side. Ryan, which year did John Lacey score his only F1 win for Ferrari at the Canadian Grand Prix? Is it... I want to say, was it 90... 95? It was 1995, so you absolutely get three points. That's incredible. That's a, a huge amount of points. Summers, Kimi Raikkonen's last victory for Ferrari came at the Belgian Grand Prix in which year? 2008. 2009, so you get one point. You get one point for being close. That's generous. Charlie, are you ready? As I'll ever be. Rubens Barrichello moved over for Schumacher at the finish line at the Austrian... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Rubens Barrichello moved over for Schumacher at the finish line at the Austrian Grand Prix in which year? I know 2004. Ah, oh, 2002. It was it was actually famous because you know, you remember that this really kicked off the team orders chat, didn't it, Summers? Yeah, it most certainly did, yes. Chris Schumacher was accused of cheating by parking at La Rascasse Corner in qualifying at the Monaco Grand Prix in which year? You should be able to deduce this actually. You should be able to use the, your powers of deduction to get this. Well, I know it's one of two years. It's just a matter of wh- whether I get this one right, actually. Was it 2006? It was. It was. And you get points. And by the way, the, the reason my mic is fading is I have to turn to write it down. So you get three points there. Gee, that, I think the scoring is skewed there. Okay, Ryan Schumacher changed his helmet design to a chrome helmet with a checkered flag for the Japanese Grand Prix in which year? 2012. It's nice to know you're not Googling. That's good. Nice to see your integrity. It was 2008. Uh, Hang on. Uh, Here we go. So, Summers. Oh, no, sorry. It was 1998. You were way off. Summers, which year was the last Constructors' world title victory for Ferrari? 2008. Yeah, good. Because basically (laughs) I gave the wrong answer when I was talking about Ryan's one. Okay, so that is my audition for BBC Daytime. Quiz shows utterly failed, Chris. Um, So... Was your question about Schumacher, was it the number of wins that he had, the one we're disputing? <sighs> the Ferrari wins, yeah. Oh, Ferrari wins. Yeah. Uh, okay, so get back to your Googling. Charlie, what was the... probably right then, yeah. Charlie, what was the last year that an Italian drove for Ferrari? Oh, uh, 1950-something. <laughs> Ryan? Uh, would it be 2009 with Luca Badoa? It was. It was Luca Badoa and Giancarlo Fisichella. Okay, Charlie, Okay, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not going that well right now, but as I say, very much a warm-up. 
I just wanted to say I, I'm more of a McLaren fan, but even then, <laughs> you told I don't me you think were I'd studying. <laughs> you told me you were studying. Okay, last round. This is the hard and fast round, apparently, according to Catman, and it's three points per answer. I love the quiz show tradition of rendering the last round so important that it negates all the other rounds. So going into this round, and I hope the chat room and listeners are playing along at home. Uh, Chris is on three. Ryan is on three. Summers is on one, emulating his great fantasy GP performance. And Charlie is on zero at the moment. Didn't, didn't I get three points for that year one? So I can't just be on three. No, yeah, good point. You're on five. Yeah. Thank you. That's a good point. Oh, yeah. I'm and so sure I got a point. Charlie, no, you haven't got a point yet. Uh, I mean, I'm not good. At, I'm not good at scoring. I mean, that that is that was a plucky little attempt at the end there to try and confuse me. I am easily confused. But look, it's all all to play for in the last round, apart from for you, Charlie. Okay, so <laughs> uh, Chris, what pet name has Sebastian Vettel given his chassis this year? Oh, the only one I ever remember was Kinky Kylie in 2011. I think it was. Um, oh, is it? Oh, I don't know. It's not like. Charlotte or something, is it? No. Ryan? Is it Gina? It is Gina. Gina G. Gina. Ooh, ah, just a little bit. Ryan, your question now. Why did Ferrari have to change the name of their F1 car in 2011? Huh. Summers knows he's going to make you look stupid. Ford. Ah, yeah, we'll assume that Ryan doesn't know. And yes, you're right. It was a clash of trademark with Ford's... I could have got that. With Ford's best-selling... It wasn't your question, Charlie. This is I getting know. desperate. This is getting desperate now. So a truck, F-150. I even know that. You're going to be the first guest on Mr. Apex Podcast quiz to not win. You realise that? I Well, there's a, I'm sure there's a bonus question somewhere, Spanners, that you're thinking of that will give me a thousand points. That's, that's a very good point. Unfortunately, Catman has, has realised this eventuality. But let's start with uh, Summers first. Why has, uh, was Felipe Massa disqualified from the 2007 Canadian Grand Prix? I don't know. Chris, go on. Steal it. He left the pit lane while the red light was on. You nerd. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and uh, in, a, in a shocking double points scenario, in fact, you get three points for that, so the double points won't even help, Charlie. But, 2014, uh, Debbie. <laughs> uh, why do Ferrari use the prancing horse as their logo, Charlie? I know this one. Yes. World, <laughs> World War I fighter pilot mate of Enzo Ferrari, or the son of their mates, and that was put on there to give them luck. Because well, it used to be on his fighter plane. That is close enough. The prancing horse with the symbol of Italian World War One fighter pilot Francesco Baracca's fighter plane and became the logo of Ferrari after the fallen ace's parents. Close acquaintances of Enzo Ferrari suggested that Ferrari use the symbol as the logo of the Scuderia, telling him that it would bring him good luck. So, Charlie, that does bring you on to... Hang on, you had... Uh, this question was worth six points. You had zero points before... So zero plus six, it's six points, which disgustingly makes Chris Stevens the winner of this week's Ferrari quiz. Well done, Chris Stevens. Wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. I I hate heaping praise on Chris Stevens. What do we think of uh, Catman's quiz in general? What what are we going to award Catman? It's a really great quiz. I love it. I don't know what I'm going to award him, but yeah, I love it. A drive-through penalty for choosing Ferrari as a quiz. <laughs> I, I was I was hoping, like, it, it always ends up the questions that I hope are going to show up never show up. Like, I thought they'd come up with something like, uh, 
who invented the first uh, sequential shift flappy paddle gearbox or something like that and what year or something like that. And obviously, it was what John Barnard, John Barnard. 89 in uh, for Ferrari. Honestly, I have to say it is a terrible tactic in general to just hope that quizzes will randomly come up with things that you already know. I think that's hopeful beyond belief. That's yeah, why but I was here. <laughs> and Charlie, was... you you are not off the hook yet because you are going to be the first person to take part in our patron quiz challenge. Are you ready for that? I'll give it a go. Can you tell that I'm stalling because I cannot actually find it? That's fine. Shall I tell you which question I would have liked in the Ferrari quiz? Go for it. Uh, what was the name of the first Ferrari that they made? Not F1 car, just the first Ferrari race car that they made. Ferrari 1? No. It was the Tipo 815, which then which I always laughed about because it was a the Fiat Tipo was a terrible car. So why Ferrari would suddenly make a race car out of that, I didn't know. I think you've, you salvaged, you've salvaged some pride there charlie i'm gonna give you that not much mate not okay much. well let's see look this is not a ferrari quiz coming up this is the patron challenge in which we invite people who have been kind enough to support us through patreon.com and search missed apex podcast to see what score they can set in a quiz pop master kind of venue there are six questions there are 10 points chris can you keep track of the points please i can do if you feel you're not up to standard i am woefully inadequate i mean to be honest there's very little chance that i got the scoring right on that quiz oh, uh, oh okay <laughs> okay round one general knowledge uh general knowledge will in in this uh format encompass all areas areas of uh areas areas of formula one okay general knowledge two points a who was the only driver to have won the motorsport triple crown monaco gp indy 500 le mans Le Mans. You have to answer. I know I do. I'm just trying to remember it, and that's horrendous because I can't. And I, I, I sense Wikipedia. No, no, I genuinely <laughs> just can't remember. I'm going to have to go. I don't know. Okay, that's fine. It was Graham Hill. It was Graham Hill. Ah, you, Ryan, you can't That came steal. up in my pub quiz a couple of weeks ago. I was very happy about it. <laughs> B, who is the only currently active driver to have won two of those events? Uh, Alonso. It is Juan Pablo Montoya. Don't worry. Ah. It's only round one. It's only round one. Round two, drivers post-1980. One question equals one point. Which driver took the only victory of the Stewart Grand Prix team? Ah, uh, give in. Uh, it's Johnny anybody... Herbert. Johnny Herbert, uh, Nuremberg, Nuremberg Ring in 1999. Round three, true or false? Hamilton, Vettel and Alonso have only finished together on the podium three times before. True or false? True. That is true. You have a point. Uh, Chris, log a point. Ferrari won the very first World Championship Formula One race at Silverstone in 1950. True or false? False. They didn't start the 1950 Silverstone. Yeah, you, you see, you do have a lot of knowledge in F1. We know you do, Charlie. That's right. It was Alfa Romeo. Uh, Romeo? Alfa Romeo. Log another point. Round four. Countries. Who was the first Indian Formula One driver? Well, it wasn't Karen Chandok, but there you go. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> Name any other Indian Formula One driver. I just, no idea. I'm, thank you, Ryan, but I, I can't lip, lip read. <laughs> uh, it was, of course, Narain Karthikeyan. Oh, him, yes. <laughs> Name the year. 
Nico Rosberg won the title last year, becoming the second son of a champion to do so. When was his father Kiki Rosberg's title victory? 86. It was 1982. I think this is the final round, Charlie. Still some pride to be sought out here. Bernie's final double rounds point as well. So you get double points for this. It's a hard (laughs) question and you get two points. Everyone will get two points at this stage, though. Which retired F1 champion now runs a buffalo farm in the south of England? No idea. Eddie Irvine. (laughs) Ryan, help him out. Is it Jody Schechter? It is Jody Schechter. What's the final score, Chris Stevens? Like the final two. score is uh, two points. Hooray. Hey, two points might be brilliant. You, you don't know, Charlie. Maybe no one will ever beat two points on the patron quiz. But we have to say thank you very, very much for being the guinea pig for the patron challenge. Uh, that, that's absolutely fine, Spanish. As long as you now never do that again, I will continue to reign to be champion. And I'm very pleased with that. Well, thank you very much, guys. And... Uh, Well, I'll keep listening and I'll see you soon. Charlie, thank you very much. You've been an absolutely great sport. Good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers, mate. Take care. Bye. Chris? Yeah, maybe his score is a little bit worrying, but what worries me more is your pronunciation of Nürburgring. Uh, Yeah, I I felt that that wasn't going well. But hey, 60 minutes into the show, for some unknown reason, this magical cup of tea hinders my pronunciations. (laughs) Of course, tea. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> See, now I can't even go back and edit that, you complete git. Okay, let's um, let's finish off the show quickly by talking about the new relationship between Honda and Sauber. We, we touched on it a little bit last week in the race review summers, but can you see anything other than utter disaster for both parties? No, no, I, I'm actually quite pleased by the... the the association because it's going to put more mileage on on the honda power unit uh that'll be four cars collecting rubbish data as opposed to two um so it might help to speed things along a little bit but let's just remember how long ago it was on missed apex that i said that saber would be joining with honda i think it was over a year ago okay i think it's a partnership that's very one-sided because honda stand everything to gain and sauber still have stuff to lose um it's worth mentioning that sauber will get parts from mclaren uh, as part of this deal including gearbox so they gain a little bit in that and gain what is only going to be a, an improving engine uh, you would think anyway um but yeah very much more to the benefit of honda than sauber at the moment yeah most definitely it does really play into Honda's hands um, as opposed to Sauber's but from a financial aspect I do feel that Sauber will be getting a leg up from Honda Um, and as you alluded to they will be getting gearboxes from McLaren but I believe that they're actually going to source their suspension componentry elsewhere because they've been getting that from Ferrari recently and it appears that that's going to change where they're going to go for that I'm not quite sure because I don't think it's something they can afford to do in-house. I think this is a disaster, Summers. I think you have touched on it completely correctly, which is that basically Honda are buying another test bed. This doesn't benefit Sauber at all. And given that I have no faith in Honda to really ever recover at this point, what we're really doing is ruining another two drivers' careers. Yeah, but one of them is in the sea all the time. So it's going to be Ericsson assuming that he can afford to to keep himself there. But, you know, the other one might be Lando Norris who presumably we all hope does well. 
I'm not sure that Norris will be in that seat next year. Um, I'm not quite sure who it will be. In fact, I'm, as Chris is alluding to, it won't be Norris. Um, but, um, yeah, it'll be interesting, let's say, um, because they've been with Ferrari for so many years now and they've accumulated a relationship with Ferrari. So they're cutting their ties and they have been for, for a little while now. And that's perhaps why we've seen them running a year-old power unit this year as well. So there's no transfer of information going on. Okay, so James Funnell was saying in the chat room that, that Honda will pay for Sauber's development. So let's assume that Sauber are going to pay, uh, going to get paid by Honda the same amount as McLaren will be getting. That's a hu- huge amount of money for development, but they can't take advantage of that if their cars are conking out every other race. Yeah, well, that's down to chassis and uh, power unit integration again, isn't it? Um, the budget to run a Formula One team, as we know, is massive. So if if Sauber are getting a, a big proportion of their funding from Honda, it's it's a win-win. But obviously, who wants to run around at the back of the grid, just like McLaren are at the moment? And I don't believe Sauber want to really do that. It's worth mentioning as well that Sauber will be getting these engines at a highly discounted price, uh, simply because the quality of the product just isn't there. Yeah, I think bad. you mean free. Yeah, I think it's more than free. In fact, I think it's more than free. I think Honda will be paying Sauber to have uh, their engines in. In I would imagine it would be a negative price. Am I way off that, Summers? Well, I, I think I think Honda are a pay driver. In yeah, this they're a pay engine, aren't they? They are the Ericsson of engines. Yes, this is bad. So, uh, Honda, Honda need to go in the sea as well. Did you see the press conference with the the Honda the Honda person? Who was being represented? Was that, that that was that was absolutely horrendous. There were journalists there that were saying Honda, apart from basically one fluky run where they did quite well and the engine won once they actually withdrew from the sport. Honda have been terrible in Formula One. What makes you think it's going to improve? How does a question like that get through the media? That is that was so aggressive and unnecessary. And I just wanted to give that poor Honda guy a big hug, Chris. The press conferences are harsh places. You know, there's no filter. You go for it. You know, these are the questions we've got to ask. I respect that guy. Yeah. Yeah. It just seemed really, really mean because that Honda guy seems like a genuinely like nice bloke. He's not being aggressive to anyone. He's just trying to do his job. And he is just he is just the lamb to the slaughter, the spicer of F1, if you will. It is a tough balance. But, you know, it comes with a job because, you know, we as journalists, we have to do our job as well and ask those tough questions. It comes with a job to have to answer those tough questions but equally you'll get to answer some lovely questions once your product is doing very well which i don't think is going to happen anytime soon so look felix is asking again because he asked us on the tech time his question was what one addition would you make to formula one if you could just add anything you wanted at all i'm going to use this as an opportunity to also talk to my panel before we get out of here and uh, prepare for the barcelona race review which will be at 8 p.m on Sunday after the race. So you'll be able to get this race review before your Monday morning commute. You'll also be able to come to the live stream by searching Spanners Ready on YouTube and come chat with us at eight o'clock and talk to us about the race. Because that's all I ever want to do in the evening of a Formula One race when people are discussing politics or the state of things or young people these days. I'm like, guys, do you not realize an F1 race was just on? And this is a place you can come and chat in real time to a Formula One piece of content. So please join us at 8pm next Sunday. So Chris Stevens, you are an autosport journalist. I'm not even going to say autosport junior now. You are a published autosport journalist, sir, and you have our respect. 
how have things been going for you? Uh, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, um, I've just had two articles in the magazine back to back weeks, uh, and two of the the best weekends of um, my career, I'd say. And I've got some nice uh, Formula E stuff coming up uh, very shortly as well. Awesome! I'd forgotten about Formula E. Not with Autosport, I must point out. Not with they, they, they don't like me that much yet. No, that's no, that's fair. You've got to, you've got to climb the ladder at the moment. You've got to spit in a lot of cups of tea before you get to do anything good. And and no, no, we really, I am genuinely made up for you when you see the real Autosport magazine with by Chris Stevens uh, sat there. So if you could change anything in Formula One, what would it be? Anything? I would unrestrict uh, the MG UK. None of this 160 horsepower limit. Let them go at it. Let's talk to Ryan Ferret Ferris. Hey Ryan, how's it going? It's going all right, Spanners. You're you're quite a divisive character on this podcast. I think half the listeners love you. To, they would have you live in their house, and the other half are like, "What is a Ryan? What what is what function is the Ryan serving? We love you, of course. What are you up to these days? Well, I am currently up to uh, doing a bit of uh, podcasting with the lovely Chris Stevens on the lean angle you know because motorcycle racing is best racing uh but you know i'm turning 20 on friday and so to celebrate i'm going to go do a triathlon what wait a minute i was not expecting that (laughs) okay is it a drinking triathlon no i wish ryan i don't mean to be offensive you just don't strike me as a, a jensen button triathlon you know guy but all power to you wow and you were supporting a charity while you do this no, I'm just doing it for myself purely purely because that's pretty much what my parents have done most of their lives. In fact, my mum organises triathlons, so that's where I've been working today. How selfish of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm inspired by your goal of copying your parents and following in their footsteps. So I will continue sipping on this Tennessee honey Jack Daniels while I ask Summers what's going on at motorsport.com. We've been seeing your name plastered all over motorsport. It just seems like you're writing a lot more these days. And I love pointing at that and going, I know that guy. I know that guy. Yeah, no, I don't know. It just seems I'm, I don't write as, as much as perhaps I would really like to because there's a th- funny thing called a day job that gets in the way. Uh, but yeah, there, there's me plenty of it. my content out there. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm enjoying myself with it. And where can people follow you online, Summers? Well, they can obviously follow me over at motorsport.com, but the best place to, to catch hold of me is on the Twitters, which is SummersF1 um, is my handle. Chris, we never caught your stupid underscore ladle Twitter handle there as well. Oh, yes. Mine is at C Stevens underscore Jano. Excellent, guys. Thank you for listening to Missed Apex podcast. We've had an absolutely a fun week. It's great fun for us doing the quizzes and catching up on a bit of news. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it as much as we've enjoyed participating in it. I've not really edited it that much. So please let me know if it's good or bad. You want more or less. I would love your feedback. Get hold of me at Spanners Ready. Why not follow the podcast at Missed Apex F1? You can find all our content at Missed Apex Podcast. Dot com. There you will find articles on F1. You'll also find the place to find the live stream. If you click on the live stream tab, you'll see blogs. You'll have guest blogs from Summers, Stephen Williams doing his predictions before every race and telling you where you should put your hard-earned money if you're going to bet on Formula One. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Missed Apex.
There's a lot of reading on the quiz shows. I blacked out for a minute. Did it go okay? You forgot comment of the week. I didn't forget comment of the week. It's become a shtick. You know, I'm like, oh, ha, ha, ha. yes, I forgot comment of the week. Let's let's do it at the end as a nice little add-on. But yes, Chris, why not tell us what comment of the week was? Okay, so the ones I have noted down, there was Christopher Fonseca. Any chance the Red Bull teaming will fall off the back of the truck and hit the car behind on the way to the circuit? But that is well um, possible because it's an unproven bit of kit that they are bolting on in an act of desperation. No one told also, them I said that. Also, it's happened to Bottas a couple of times as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Felix had uh, Mr. Apex Bingo. Spanners talks about his work to weigh up for not understanding Summers. Yeah, that's totally true. I definitely do that. I can't believe I've been called on that, finally. <laughs> Felix had another good one, which was the knock-knock, who's their F1 or IndyCar with their pitchforks. <laughs> I can't wait to see the abuse I get. For... Hey, look, honestly, I'm, I'm more than happy for people to tell me why I'm wrong about IndyCar. I'm just not seeing it. Uh, luminosity opinions on a podcast gasp. Yes, I love that in response. To... Well, this is the thing. There are, there are podcasts out there that are too afraid to just say what they think. What is the point in having a podcast if I can't just go, Lewis is brilliant. <laughs> and uh, last one is Ray Parker. I just hope Alonso doesn't get dizzy and pass out during the Indy 500. Because they do go round and round quite a lot. Okay, what is the winner? What's the winner? Um. Oh, I don't know. Do any of you guys want to chip in on this as well? They're all good. I gave you one job, literally one job. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's give it to Ray Parker. Excellent. I hope Alonso doesn't get dizzy and pass out during the Indy 500. I believe that is a first-time winner Ray Parker gets. Comment of the week. All right, I did forget. I'll admit it. I forgot. This is hard. It's, not, it's harder than I make it seem, okay? You try it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.